We have been in an ongoing study through the Gospel of Mark and just taking our time, not in a race, not in a hurry, just going verse by verse to the Gospel of Mark. And this morning we come to a passage that I want to share with you, a message I've entitled, A Lesson on Generosity, just to help us grow in having a biblical understanding of money. Now, I understand as we are here this morning that we have looked at different times throughout the Gospel of Mark. We've, we've looked at different things that Jesus has taught on money, and so it's not a new topic for us to look at specifically in this series. And, but one of the things that when we go through the Gospel of Mark and we spend time in the things that Jesus is saying and doing, it forces us to really slow down and recognize the things that matter to him. And when we look through the Gospel, really when you look through all of the Bible, we see that God gives a lot of instruction and a lot of teaching on, this, on our finances and what we do with our finances. And he, he speaks a lot about it because he cares about our money because he cares about our giving. And he cares about our giving and our money because he cares about our hearts. And so he's speaking really to our hearts and to heart matters. And so this morning, I want to share with you just a little bit about an encounter with an individual that really doesn't even encounter Jesus, but Jesus watches their generosity and he watches her giving. And while this is a person with very little money, they give us some very big lessons. And so I believe this morning that as we take time and look at God's Word, that, uh, that we can learn from it. And I should clarify on the front end, my focus is not to figure out how to get you to give more. That is not my intent, and that is not my focus. My focus is to help each one of us this morning grow in a biblical understanding of money, a biblical understanding of God's design, of his intent, and of his focus in our lives. Uh, So let's take time to look at this this morning in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse number 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the temple treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. The story, much like many of the ones we've looked at in the Gospels of Mark, have, takes place in the temple. We've looked at many different times, many different encounters that Jesus has had with individuals, and it takes place in the temple. In the temple, we can think of it as, and we've looked at it in the past even, but we think about it being in the, the main sanctuary, the main area, but really the temple was very large area. It took up multiple football fields worth of ground, And it really had several courts around it. And this encounter that takes place takes place in some of the temple courts. But one of the things that we see, and we see it all through Scripture, we see it in this moment, is that when when people came and when they gave to the temple, because the temple symbolized the presence of God among his people, when people gave to the temple, they recognized that they were giving to God. They knew, in fact, that they were giving it to him, not just to the temple, not to the, into the, into the, the collection bins, not into the priest, but rather ultimately they were giving it to God because the temple represented the presence of God among his people. Now, when it comes to the temple, there's two specific courts that we, we've looked at all of them, but there's two specific courts to consider in this story. 
First, there's the outermost courts, and that's called the outer courts. And we looked at this courtyard, this area of the temple, when Jesus came and he drove out and got rid of all the people who were selling things and who were trying to make a profit off of it. And that's where Jesus was, was really dealing with how individuals were being taken advantage of in the temple grounds. So there's the outer court. And then the second one is the court of women. And it's the court of, called the court of women because this is really as far as women would go in the temple. There's a few occasions they would go farther beyond that for a sacrifice, but then really it was the court, the court of women where women really didn't go beyond. And it was in this court of women that was actually the temple treasury. So Jesus is here in the court of women right near the temple treasury, and he's sitting down and he's watching people give. Now, when people would give in Jesus's day and at the temple, it wasn't a matter of people were sitting and much like we did this morning where someone came with an offering plate or an offering bucket and they passed it by and people gave as, as they wanted and they did it very, tried to do it very discreetly so people didn't see. It's a very different process of giving in Jesus's day. Right outside of the temple treasury where Jesus was sitting, you would have 13 different boxes that people would give into. And the box, the best way to describe the box would be almost like a, a trumpet turned upside down. Uh, and that it, was, it started with a large box and it came up into a, a very tight, tall cylinder and it was all made of, of metal. And so because the currency of the day, they didn't have bills. So in the currency of the day was coinage. They would come and they would bring their coins and they would give them. So when they give, everyone could see what people were giving. Everyone would hear what people were giving. So if you gave just a couple of coins, you would hear just a couple of clinks as they gave, and then they'd be done. When the rich would come, they would make such a great parade and performance about it. They many times would come in these luxurious robes. They would be wearing different colors, which were often brought in from different lands. They were expensive because they were dyed. And so they would come in in their flowing robes, and they might have servants carrying bags of money, and they would come up, and they would then begin to dump the money, and you'd begin to hear all this money chinking right through the, through the, the giving box and right into where they were giving. And so it was a very large production Lots of noise, lots of activity when people were giving. The different boxes, each one had different purposes at the, at the temple. Some were for the needs of the, of the temple itself, whether it be for the wood for the offerings, whether it be oil for incense, or a number of things. People recognized the temple functioned because people were willing to give. They were generous and willing to give, and so they could give, and some of the boxes were for that. Other boxes were designated to benevolence-type needs and to giving to, the, to people in need, and so people could give to that. There was another box that was designated specifically to give for offerings. There were other boxes that were given for if people came and we, we looked at when they came for the Passover, they came and they brought money to purchase something and they'd set aside a certain amount. If after they'd purchased their, their sacrifice and they were done with the sacrifice and they had a handful of, of change left, a handful of the money left, they could go and they can give it in that. All these different things and all these different spaces and places to give. And the thing that was very clear is that God expected for the temple to function off of the generosity of his people. And so Jesus comes, he's sitting there with his disciples. And as he's sitting there with his disciples, watching all of the different ones coming and giving, rich people, the crowds, all of the different ones coming, in the midst of all of this, there's one individual who comes, a very poor, poverty-stricken widow, and she comes and she gives. And Jesus uses this moment, sitting there with his disciples, watching this, this widow come and give. And he uses this moment with his disciples to then look into her willingness to give and her generosity and to give them some instruction on giving 
that in turn I believe that we can take and learn some instruction from. So I'd love to give you four things biblically when it comes to our giving that we can take, we can learn, we can apply from, we can, uh, I believe that we can grow from and allow God to challenge our hearts. The first one is God watches what we give. God watches what we give. If you look in the story in verse, uh, in verse number 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowds put their money in the temple treasury. It says, Jesus sat down and he watched. The word that's translated for watch, it might be, you might think, well, you read it in the story, and it's just the, the convenient translation we use, but the word that was translated where Jesus, it says Jesus watched, the original word says it, was, it speaks of a very intentional gazing, a very intentional watching, that it was very purposeful in what Jesus was doing. That he was intentionally watching how she gave. He didn't make any apologies for it. He sat there with his disciples and he watched how she gave. He watched people give, and more importantly, he watched how they give. He watched the motives. He watched the attitudes. He watched the hearts. Throughout Scripture, we see that Jesus knows the attitudes and the motives of the heart. And it says that Jesus watched how they gave. I think it's important for us to remember that God still watches what we give. He still watches what we give. This morning when the offering plate came by, When you gave, while there was not necessarily anyone sitting around watching specifically what you gave, God watches what you give. He watches what you give. He watches what you put in the plate. If perhaps you went online or you do it at home and you give online through one of the different ways we have to give, God's still there and he watches what you give. The coming days, we're going to have ways to, to just create different avenues of giving with through text giving and utilizing just our, the current technology we have. And it doesn't matter if you're alone in a room and you do your giving. God still watches what you give because he cares about your heart. As we said earlier, he cares about your money. He cares about how you give because he cares about your heart. He's watching what you do in the moment and he's watching how you do it. I would suggest that when it comes to our giving, our giving is at least as equally as important as the expressive worship that we just took part of. That when you give in the offering, when you give financially, it's, I would believe that it's equally as important as the expressive worship, the singing and the celebrating and the raising of our hands that we just did. And you might say, how could you possibly say that giving in the offering is, is equally as important as the worship? Because giving, what we do with our money reveals a lot more about the heart than singing a song does. When we give financially, giving to God, declaring that we're trusting him, declaring that he's first, declaring that we take his word at what he says about his word, we're declaring a lot more about our belief in God than simply singing the songs that we're being led into singing. Don't get me wrong, singing in worship is important. Raising your hands in worship is important. We're blessed with an incredible worship team. Pastor Kyle does a great job. We, we, there's an all a part of that. We see in Scripture, there's a place in, a, of worship in heaven. That, In fact, if you don't like worship, you probably won't like heaven because that's the atmosphere of heaven. But when you give, it's equally as important as your worship because, again, it's declaring who God is and our trust and our faith in him. God cares about how we handle our money, not just what you do in this room. He cares about how you handle your money when you buy things. He cares about how you spend your money. He cares about your finances because it's part of who you are. 
He cares enough about you and, and all of your life to know that there is no small detail or no small part of your life that he doesn't notice. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse number 21. It says, For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. Your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. He's examining and watching the paths that you take. He's examining the, the, and watching the paths that you take in your finances. He's examining and watching the paths that you take in your giving, the paths that you take in your thinking, the motives in your heart. The Bible says that God watches every detail of our lives. And when I, when I read a verse like that in Proverbs 5.21 that we've just read, that all the man's ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all his paths, we can look, you can look at that from the negative standpoint and you can think, well, wait, God's just watching me left and right. It's just I've got like big brother peeking over my shoulder and watching everything that I do. And you can take a negative aspect or you can take a positive aspect and you can look and think, God cares enough about my life that there is not a detail of my life that he misses. He cares enough about my life that he's watching every detail. And because he's watching every detail, I can talk to him about every detail. That he cares enough about my life that he sees when I'm struggling. He sees when I struggle to trust in giving. He sees when I struggle in a willingness to give. And I can talk to him about it. That it's a reminder that God cares about your life. God watches what you give. Secondly, not only does God watch what we give, God watches how we give. God watches how we give. If you look in verse 44, it says that Jesus, he begins to identify the two types of givers that are there in the morning, in the moment of giving. He says that there's the rich and they come and the word that Jesus uses for rich, rich, when you look at the intent of the meeting, what he speaks of is someone who has abundance above and beyond, over and over in abundance. He speaks of this, of this, this abundantly fat wealth that individuals have, not speaking of the individual, but speaking of their financial circumstances. He says you had the rich who would come and they had above and beyond and anything they give, they gave was just merely Changed to what it was that they really had been entrusted with, that they gave and they had an abundance. The second type of giver that Jesus described in this story is this woman. And Jesus uses two words to describe her situation. He describes her as poor and he describes her as being in poverty. What Jesus is describing in this woman is speaking of someone who has to labor daily just for what they need to survive. That they'll go through their day, they'll be able to earn just enough to survive for that day for them and hopefully for their loved ones that, that's under their care. They earn just enough for that day. And then they, when they go into the marketplace, they're very limited on what they have. They can't just go through the marketplace and decide, well, we want this and that and this and that. But rather, it's describing someone who has such a small amount that when they go into the marketplace, they, have, they realize they're, they're looking at such a small amount, realizing everything and everyone who's depending on what it is that they've just earned. And then they go into the marketplace and they have to carefully and strategically decide, how can I best put this, use, this money to use so that I'm then in turn providing for those who are under my care in the best possible way? And then when they go to bed that night and the next morning they get up, they restart the cycle again. 
It's not someone who has an abundance. It's not someone who has more than enough. It's not someone who's earning and finding little small ways to pull ahead, even if it's earning just enough to be able to contribute some into what it is that they'll have for the next day. But really, it's just someone who has just enough, no reserve, no abundance, nothing beyond what's in their hand in the moment. And Jesus says that this woman who is in that situation, a place of poverty, says that she gave all that she had to live on. That she gave two small pennies. And some, some other accounts of this say that she gave two small coins. The coins that she gave, if you were to look in today's economy, look, I'm just going to do the math, it would be the equivalent of about $2 in our economy today. And she took those $2 that she had earned that she was going to go and find just enough to be able to provide for her and whoever depended on her, just enough to provide in that moment for that day. And it says that she gave. She gave those two pennies or two copper coins. And the point is that Jesus is trying to make between these two is that God watches how we give. He makes a point to say that these others, they gave out of their abundance, but she gave sacrificially and she gave generously and she gave everything. Perhaps she may have even given up a meal. She may have given up something in order to be able to give in that moment because she recognized that being generous and being sacrificial in that moment was more important than whatever it was that she may have waiting ahead of her that she needed for the rest of that day. You know, I think we can easily hear about these two types of people, these two groups of people. I think it's very easy to hear talking about one who's rich and in abundance and having more than enough, and another who's in poverty, barely making what they need to provide in some small way for those who depend on them. I think we can hear those two stories and those two pictures of types of people and how they gave. And while I probably, most of us in this room, you'd look around the room and you probably wouldn't put yourself, most of us wouldn't put ourselves in that poverty-stricken place that she has, that this woman is in. I think it's fair to assume that all of us would not put ourselves in the place of the rich. Yet when you look at current studies and current polls, Recent polls say that if you make $33,000 a year, that you're in the top 1% of the world financially, not just this year, but in all of human history. That if you make, make $33,000 a year, and I'm not, not trying to point out anyone and what you make, but just to put things in perspective, if you make $33,000 a year, you're in the top 1% financially in the world in all of human history. That we live in the wealthiest generation, the wealthiest time, the wealthiest moment that there's ever been. And so when, while you might look at your neighbor, you might look at your community, you might look at your life, and you might think, I'm certainly not the rich. When we compare ourselves to the other 99% of the rest of the world, we begin to realize that perhaps we're a little more like the rich man than the poverty-stricken widow. And we begin to think about the application of what Christ is saying in our lives. Oftentimes that I believe when, that even when we have very little money, we actually have far more in reality than the rest of the world. To stop and think what it is that God has entrusted into our care. And so I think that many times when we come to a place to give and we come to an opportunity to give, that many times it's very easy to say that we have nothing to give, but we fail to, to assess is our inability to give come after we're done spending Are we willing to give before we then examine what we can spend and where we can spend it? 
I think it's worth, to, to, it's worth for each of us just to pause and to consider that perhaps in our lives, because we live, we've been entrusted with such a large amount of resources, whether it's the $33,000, whether it's more or less, that God is in, he saw fit to entrust you with the finances that you have, and that perhaps God's blessings flow into our lives, not to raise our standard of living, but rather to raise our standard of giving. To examine our willingness to give and to trust God with our finances and to know that he watches how we give. That he entrusts us with 99% more than the rest of the world, not so that we can spend more than 99% of the rest of the world, but rather I believe that God entrusts us with more than 99% of the rest of the world so that we can lead the way in giving and lead the way in generosity. The Bible gives us a model for giving that we've talked about in many days before. If you've been around church, I'm sure you've heard about it. But the, the, the biblical model that we are given by God to give is called tithing. In the Old Testament Jews were required to give a tithe, meaning a tenth, not just a tenth of somewhere in the money they've made, but the first tenth of the resources that they were given. And in addition, they were expected to give in free will offerings. I want to show you in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, speaking of tithing and understanding the biblical principle of it, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, in verse 9, and the first fruit of all your crops. It's speaking specifically of putting God first in our finances. When, when the finances, when the money comes to us to take that first 10%, that was what is expected in the Old Testament Jew to then take the 10%, that first 10% amount, and give it back to God. That's the biblical model that God gives us for giving. And what the scriptures go on to teach us and to tell us is that when we choose not to use the biblical model for giving, in Malachi chapter 3, God says that when we choose not to give the way he's prescribed it, that he calls it robbing him. He tells us that we're choosing to try and rob God rather than to trust God. That he expects his people to give him the first and, and the best. And when they weren't, he said they were robbing him. Now, from time to time, I've had conversations with individuals just in years of ministry. I've had conversations with individuals about giving. And some would come and they would tell me, you know, they'd say, Steve, what you're sharing about tithing and you're sharing in Scripture, that's Old Testament. That, that's the Old Testament. That's before Christ. That's before Christ died on the cross. We're not living in the New Testament, the new covenant, the new plan that God has for us. And they'll begin to speak to that. And, but oftentimes what I've found is that in that line of reasoning, saying, well, tithing is Old Testament. Tithing is no longer apl- applicable to the New Testament believer. But I've found that rooted in the, in somewhere in that conversation is not a desire to move and give more than the 10%. It's a desire to decrease the amount so that they can give less and hold on to more. And for individuals who would begin to just share with me and say, well, you know, tithing is Old Testament. It's not meant for New Testament believers. Then I just would point them to Matthew 23, 23. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus is having one of his many conversations with the religious leaders of his day, and they're coming and challenging him on a number of things. And in that conversation, while Jesus is giving correction and guidance, he actually affirms the, the biblical model of tithing. He says, you, you're so religious in your tithe, in your your adherence to God, that you tithe even off of the spices sitting in your kitchen. 
And he never begins to rebuke or say, well, tithing is no longer something that, that is meant for the New Testament believer, but rather he affirms it and then he continues to give them instruction. So he affirms the biblical model of tithing uh, even on the smallest things. And what's clear in the New Testament is that when it comes to the biblical model of giving, when you look in the New Testament, when you look at how Jesus teaches, is that he goes far beyond the tithe. When you look in the New Testament, the biblical model is not to give more, it's to give less. It says they gave above and beyond more than they were able, just this willingness and generosity to give towards God. And when you look at how Jesus teaches in the New Testament, he, in, in specifically in Matthew chapter 5 and, and what is called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is coming and he's teaching and he's taking the scriptures. He's taking what's been taught and he's taking it. And he says, this is what you've defined the Old Testament law as, whether it be on divorce or adultery or, or all sorts of things. And Jesus says, this is what you're defining it as. But this is really God's intent. He says, you say adultery as when a, a man and a woman who are not married get together in a sexual relationship. And that's what you define it as. But Jesus says, but because God looks at the heart... And he sees the motive of the heart. It's not defined as this. It's defined as this. And he continues again and again to take what was thought of as the application, the proper application of God's word, and then he takes it and he begins to expand its application. So when you take the way Jesus would teach and you take the understanding of Old Testament biblical finances, we realize that in the New Testament that God's design is not that we give less. It's actually that we learn to move in greater measures of generosity. And I think it's fair for us to ask ourselves or to assess our hearts is that does God really expect less of me who has the Holy Spirit living in me and lives in the wealthiest society of human history to give less than what he demanded of the poorest Israelite? That he's expecting for us to move in generosity towards him. The Bible tells us that tithing is God's historical method to get us on the pathway of giving. That it's a, it's a gateway to graciously giving more, giving more. And so I'll encourage individuals that when it comes to our giving, when it comes to that 10%, that giving of the tithe, that it's not meant to be the stopping place, it's meant to be the starting place. That when we tithe, it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be the ceiling, it's meant to be the floor, the starting place. It's not meant to be the finish line, it's meant to be the starting blocks. That when we give to God financially, when we choose to trust him, when our finances and take him at his word, that the Bible tells us that not only are we then walking in obedience, but it tells us that our giving is directly linked to a blessing that he releases in our lives. Friends, we never give financially so that we can get more. That would have the wrong heart and the wrong motive. But the Bible says repeatedly that there is a blessing that God intends to impart upon your family, upon your finances, upon your home, upon your health, upon your life, upon everything that has been entrusted to you, that there is a blessing that God has for your life that is directly linked to your willingness to obey and to give. That there's no way around it. And so I challenge individuals and say, what blessing of God can you possibly live without in your life? Every single one of his blessings are intended for our lives. Let me show you a couple of places in Scripture that speak to this. In Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse number 9, God had been restoring the nation of Israel. They'd been in, in punishment. They'd been in exile. Now he's restoring them. They're coming back. And they began to build the temple. The temple, if you remember, represents the presence of God among his people. 
And he comes and he's re, they're, they began to rebuild the temple and then they got sidetracked. They got sidetracked with their stuff, with their wants, with their houses, with their needs, with the things that were focused on them. And that in the midst of this, they began to experience famine. They began to experience loss of crops, failure in finances, a number of things. And in Haggai chapter 1, God brings this correction to them. He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with your own house, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain and the new wine and the olive oil and everything else in the ground that the ground produces on people and livestock and on the labor of your hands. But he says that when we choose not to give according to God's design, that, that there is a restriction of the blessings of God in our lives. That is a restriction. It's not that he wants to withdraw his blessings, but rather we're choosing to walk in disobedience before a God who expects the blessing to be upon a lifestyle of obedience. And whether it's, it's blatant disobedience or whether it's delayed obedience, both of them continue to miss the design that God has for us to walk in full measure of his word, and to walk in the full blessing of his presence. Another passage I want to share with you in Malachi chapter 3, speaking again about finances and, and the blessing that is attached to being willing to give. In verse number 10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food enough in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So when we choose to give, God watches not only what we give, he watches how we give. When we choose to give, we're creating a lifestyle. We're taking steps in a lifestyle of obedience and steps in a lifestyle that's attractive to the blessing of God. So I'll tell people when it comes to giving, there's, there's, I believe there's three reasons you need to give. It's found right here in Malachi that we looked at. Number one, you need to give because God needs you to give. God needs you to give not because he needs what you have, but he needs you to give because, as I've said, there's a blessing that's attached to your willingness to take a step of obedience, to trust God in his word, and to put your faith into practice in your finances. It says that there's a blessing that's given. Malachi also says that we choose to give because, number one, God needs us to give so that blessing can come. Secondly, the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, it says God needs us, we need to give because the church needs you to give. It says right here, he says in, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. He says, I recognize that the function of the temple, the function of God's house, the function of the church is directly linked to individuals' willingness to give. So he says, number one, give because God needs you to give. There's a blessing attached to it. Give because the church needs you to give. And then number three, he says, give because you need you to give. As I've said before, there are blessings of God that are intended for your life so that you can walk in the full measure of who he's designing for you to be. And when we choose to say, well, God, I trust you in most every other part of your word than what you teach me about my finances, we are, in essence, tying the hands of God over our lives and we're not allowing him to be God over a part of our lives. That God's desire and his design is that we trust him in our giving. And I encourage people who have yet to take that step of faith and to put into practice what the Bible teaches about giving in that tithe, the 10%, and then offerings above and beyond, is that that struggle of saying, well, if I can't make it on 100%, 
How can I possibly make it on 90% if the 100 isn't even going as far as I need it to? And that goes back to what we've just looked at in God's Word of saying there is a factor in the math that you're looking at that doesn't make sense because God's not in the equation. But when you begin to trust Him and you begin to take that step of faith, you begin to see the way He provides above and beyond, beyond anything we can comprehend or imagine. Number three, when we give, not only does God watch what we give, not only does God watch how we give, number three, God watches what we keep. Jesus described the rich in verse 44. He describes the rich as giving out of their wealth, whereas the widow gave and left empty-handed. He watched what they kept. He watches what we keep. He watches how we use what we keep. He not only cares about what you give, he cares about what you don't. He not only cares about what you keep, but he cares about how you spend what you keep. And the reason he cares about what you keep is because when it comes to your finances, you're not taking your finances and giving God 10%. You're taking God's finances and he's entrusting you with 90. You see the different perspective? It's not a matter of God, you're trusting God with 10% of your money. Rather, it's a matter of he's trusting you with 90% of his. And so he's, he wants to see how you choose to use what it is that he's entrusted into your care as a steward or as a manager. Can you imagine for a moment if after service today, you had a package in your car and you were going to stop by UPS or DHL or FedEx or some other shipping organization and you take that package in and it's a package that's intended to, to be sent off to a loved one that you have in a different, a different state, a different area. And as you take that package and you take it in and you entrust it to them and you, t- and you, you pay the best sh- postage possible to make sure it's going to be protected and handled well and delivered on time and you give it to them and then you walk out to your car and as you sit in your car and you peer in through the window with that package that you've just packed full of things for the loved one that, that you're sending it to, that you watch the clerk behind the counter not realizing that you're watching begin to pick up your box and shake it a little bit. Then he sets it down and he pulls out a, a, a box cutter and he opens up the box and he begins to pull it out. And if it's clothes that you've sent, he takes it and begins to try it on. And or if it's cookies you've made or candy, he begins to eat that. Or if it's finances, he begins to put it into his wallet. The moment you saw that individual doing that with what you're sending, that you would run in, I would imagine you would run in, some probably more polite than others, and you would run into, the, into that space and you would say, listen, what you're doing is you're taking something that I'm entrusting you to deliver. It's not intended for you. It's never yours to begin with. It's meant to, you're supposed to help me get it from this place to this place, but it's not meant for you. You would look at that person and you would think they were crazy. But I think it would be wise for us to consider that the resources and the blessings of God upon our lives and the finances that he's entrusted each one of us with, that perhaps in some small way, what God is doing with the things that we have in our lives, our finances, our resources, our very lives, that it's not a matter of merely they're ours, we've given God his due and they're ours, but rather they're things that he's entrusted with us to help in this life carry them and, and deliver them into the places they're meant to be. It could be the comfort of your home for another individual. It could be something in your finances as a blessing to someone in need. It could be any number of resources that you have to recognize that perhaps sometimes the blessings of God come into our lives not to end with us, but rather to flow through us. 
and that he wants to use our life as an avenue and a channel of his resources into the lives of others. Later in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking about this very thing, and he's talking about a money manager, and he's talking about it, and he says that we are continually tested in, by, with our trustworthiness of eternal things in how we choose to manage our money here and now. He says that when we demonstrate our faithfulness in smaller things, both financially and otherwise, that we're positioning ourselves so that God can then entrust us with more. That it'd be much like a parent at home with a child at home or a teenager at home, that you watch their life, you watch how they're living their life, you watch what they have, and you, you're entrusting them with small little things, and as they prove themselves faithful, you begin to entrust them with a little bit more. And that's what Jesus says when it comes to our finances, that it's, it's very easy to think that if I had more money, if I had millions, that it would be far easier to be a better giver. But Jesus says that God's view is just the opposite. That from his perspective, if we can't be faithful with the little that he's entrusted us with, then how can he possibly expect us to be faithful if he should entrust us with more? From his perspective, he's saying, how are you faithful with what I've already placed in your hands? See, God has great interest not only in what you give, but he has great interest in what you keep back for yourself and how you use it. And so what I thought would be good to do this morning And I've got one more thing that I'll share with, one more truth from the story I'll I'll end on. But I thought it would be good this morning to help each of you evaluate how you spend what you do with what it is that you keep, specifically in your finances, with what it is that God's entrusted to you. And so I've asked the ushers, I've given each of them a ledger sheet, and I've asked the ushers to hand them out. And we have enough here for everyone, so young and old alike. I'd ask that you'd hand one out to to each person here. And this ledger sheet, a ledger sheet is simply a a sheet that helps you track and and see what you're spending, the money that's coming in, the money that's going out. And you can be as detailed uh, and as specific as you want, or you can be as general as you want. This is not something we're collecting. This is not something I'm wanting to look at. This is something for you to take time this coming week to evaluate how you spend the money you've been entrusted with for this coming week, or even if you want to go farther into the next couple of weeks, and, and take time to look over your life, look over your finances, and think if it matters enough to God, then it should matter enough to us to evaluate it. And for our younger ones, if you need help with a parent or with perhaps as a leader in your life that can help you, ask them to help you look it over and, and understand it and how you spend it. You see, take time to evaluate your life because in the end, God does not evaluate your life and your finances based on a one-week paycheck. He doesn't evaluate your life and your finances on a one-month scale or a one-year scale. He evaluates your lives and your spending and your giving in light of eternity. And so with your finances, with your tracking, look at it and examine it in light of eternity. What is, the, what is the, the usage of the money and the finances that, you're, that you have, that you've been entrusted with, how does that reflect eternity and what will you believe that God has intended? And then, friends, lastly, the last point that I have for you. The proper stewardship is an all-encompassing lifestyle. Jesus describes this woman's generosity as giving everything. She didn't hold back in case that God wouldn't come through for her. She didn't say, I'm not going to give two, even though I want to give two. I'm only going to give one because there's a good chance that even though I'm trusting God, 
He might not come through for me in the way that I think he should come through. So I'm going to hang on to one so that I have a fallback plan or I have a plan B in case God doesn't provide the way I thought I think he should provide. She demonstrated in the end by her giving that her trust was not in money, but in God. She chose to trust him in her giving and she chose to trust him ultimately in providing for her because she gave everything. And in the process, in Jesus' assessment of her giving and of the wealthy, the others who gave, Jesus says that she gave in all the more than all others combined. Her two dollars, her two pennies, were far more than all the other givers combined. See, the rich walked away giving something. She walked away giving everything. And in her simple act of giving, she declared that her trust, her life, and her provisions were all found in God. If you think about your finances this morning and you think about your life, think about the money that you have, whether it be in your wallet, in your checkbook, in your checking account, in your savings account. If you think about the money that you have, for the most part, the money that you have, you had to give, you had to exchange something for. You had to exchange time that is from a paycheck. You've invested time in the week. So you've exchanged your time for financial compensation. For others, it's, it's, it's also a reflection of your talent, that you have gone to school, you've been trained, there's a talent that you have, there's a skill set that you have, that you are in, you are exchanging for finances throughout the week. So when our giving really is a representation of far more than just our finances. Our giving because our money represents our time, it represents our, ta- our labor, it, it represents our talent. That when you choose to give and give with the right heart, we're doing far more than just making a financial statement. We're making a declaration that we trust God with everything that we are. You're saying, God, I trust you with my money, but because my money represents my time, my energy, my talent investments, whatever it is that you've exchanged for that money. And when you give, you're saying, God, I am trusting you and I'm making a declaration of trusting you with my life. And when we give in the tithe and even when we choose to give above and beyond, those moments aren't merely for us to be able to say, well, I've given, I've given God his rightful due. Those are rather moments for us to be reminded that not only is it a declaration of trust in who God is, but there are also moments for us to be reminded that what we have given to God is we've given it to God, but we've been entrusted back with so much more that he would like for us to seek his wisdom on how it's used. And then when we do that, we begin to live life by God's design and God's picture and his word of our finances and of our lives. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning, and I want to pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I thank you that your word speaks to every area of our life, including our finances. And God, I thank you that that you care care for us enough that you desire to speak to the very things that can easily slip in and control our hearts and our lives. And God, I know that different ones in this room this morning, God, from the things that I've shared, that God, this room represents a whole different, all different spectrums of giving, all different individuals with struggles and challenges. But God, I thank you that as we looked at at the very beginning with every heart and every life, you see where each person is at.